And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, Big show today. A lot to discuss. I talked all things coronavirus, the economic fallout, uh, what Congress should be doing about it, uh, the regulatory reforms that have been enacted uh, to combat the coronavirus, and much more. I was joined by Shoshana Weissman. It's always a great time talking to Shoshana. I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. Uh, Before I get into the show, uh, gentlemen... I've officially launched the hashtag quarantine beard challenge. Uh, guys, you know, you're either out of work or you're working from home. Uh, grow a kick-ass beard. It is, it is the perfect time to grow a beard. And uh, post updates, beard pics on Twitter with the hashtag quarantine beard challenge. And of course, of course, you need to get the best beard oil on the market. I'm talking about my friends over at Man Beard Company. Man Beard Company beard oils have the appropriate amount, appropriate amount of fatty acids, vitamin E, and vitamin A to keep your beard in great shape. It promotes strong and even facial hair growth. Um, effects are visible after just a few uses. Really, guys, you will notice the difference in just a few days of using this oil. Uh, it keeps your beard strong, soft. It's not greasy. It's not oily. Legitimately, guys, it is the best uh, beard oil I've ever used. You guys are really going to like it. Check them out over at manbeardco.com. That is manbeardco.com. Use the promo code NOGIMMICKS. Once again, the promo code NOGIMMICKS for a great deal on your order of beard oil. Punch the bear. Tame the beard. Man Beard Company. Check them out. And guys, please follow us on Twitter at No Gimmicks Pod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us that five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, without further ado, here's my chat with Shoshana Weissman. All right, guys. We're here with Shoshana Weissman. Shoshana, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, um, all right, we're, we have a lot to discuss today. We'll get into all of it. We'll, we'll get into the, the political fight over the stimulus package and, and all that stuff. But first, occupational licensing reform is suddenly a really big deal <laughs> that, that people care about, maybe for the first time ever. So I know you've been waiting your whole life for this. I'm sure you wish uh, it was under much different circumstances, obviously, but governors, both uh, Republican and Democrat, are getting rid of a lot of red tape right now. Um I can probably speak for the majority of Americans that when I when I read about this stuff, I'm just surprised that these regulations were in place to begin with. You know, that's kind of the shocking part for me. But give us a few highlights from the last couple of weeks. Oh, my gosh, it's been wild. So um, I didn't think I would know anything of like use or value at all during this time. I figured it might be a quiet couple of weeks for me. <laughs> um, and then uh, governors just started like reforming a ton of laws, which is great because they're laws that needed reform. Uh, regardless, um, you know, it, it's it, and there's so many it's it's hard to even know where to start. But my colleagues and I put together a post on kind of a, a bunch of different kinds of regulatory reforms. So then so there's licensing reform and there, there's so many sides to this issue to begin with. But as it applies here, um, most states don't allow medical professionals from other states to work in their state, um, which is 
a problem generally, especially as that is, we don't. That is bonkers. I had no, I, I had no clue that any of that existed. You know, to to their credit, I I almost understand um, because you need to create a law to do that thing. Otherwise, they're just licensed in in the state they're licensed in. So that that's more of like a regulatory failure where you actually need a teeny bit of regulation to allow stuff. So like the one of the very rare times like regulation would actually help because it does less stuff in instead of more stuff um, and, and allows more things. Um, but, you know, in, in all the years we've had medical licensing, you would think we'd have more than a few compacts that don't even reach all the states. So now, like all of a sudden, their governors are understanding the immediate need for it. Um, so that's been nice that they've been like, hey, if you work in another state, you can just come in and work. We're good. So that that's been helpful. Another piece of the puzzle is um, scope of practice. A lot of nurses aren't qualified or are, are qualified to do a lot more than they're allowed to do. Um, so they can't see patients on their own. They can't prescribe even really basic stuff. It all has to be un done under the purview of doctor. But that's just a waste sometimes because, of course, there's stuff you need the doctor to do himself. But just like, you know, if you go if you get sick and you go to the doctor, sometimes you only see the nurse, everything's approved, and then you get out. She still, she, he or she still has to work under a doctor to make that legal, which is just silly. So allowing nurses to practice on their own for really basic things. And um, one other part of the fact that they can't work across, across state lines, that makes it a lot harder on telehealth. Because doctors based in one place um, have to be licensed wherever they're, the location of the people they're treating is. There's been some different discussions on how to loosen that. but honestly, one of the best ways is just saying, hey, if they're licensed in another state, they can practice here. It's fine. Um, so those are a handful, but there's so many more. Um, a lot, lot of them really need to be, uh, they, they can be done away with now, but would have helped if they had been done earlier. Like um, some localities make it so you can't work from home, even if you're just sitting at YouTube all day, like uploading videos, like that's illegal. Um, in other places, uh, basically, you can't have much healthcare competition. Um, because of laws that basically just give your competitors a veto over your business existing. Um, there's so much, and it's been wild to see governors just left and right say, okay, this is done, we, we need more help. Obviously, this should have been done a while ago, but it, it's great to see, you know, Republicans and Democrats going after this. Right, and, you know, obviously, uh, Greg Abbott down in Texas has led the way here, and, and you expect that from guys like, Abbott or, or Ron DeSantis or Doug Ducey, you know, the, the good guys, or at least the good guys from, from my personal perspective. But, I mean, watching Gavin Newsom <laughs> talking about yeah. how they need to slash red tape and get rid of these regulations, I'm like, wait, wait what? You're, like, you're a Marxist, dude. Like, you, you, like, you've spent your entire time as governor adding red tape, you know? So it's, it is interesting yeah. seeing even, even guys like, like him, like Andrew Cuomo, getting on board. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, you know, there's been a move from Democrats on on licensing generally, but um, I, they've been less active about it. So there's definitely been interest, but they might just vote for a bill or they might get involved, but they generally won't lead it. So seeing them take the lead has been incredible. I mean, even in Washington state, like you're saying, Virginia, New York, like these are not states you right. think of as um, bastions of regulatory reform. And it's been wild in the past week for them to say, nope, this is dumb. We're not doing this anymore. And I hope that they take those lessons to heart that, you know, um, sometimes you do need more regulations, but sometimes 
Do you need fewer? Um, and look at what the occasion calls for. Don't just knee jerk one way or the other. Although I tend to knee jerk towards less regulations because any regulation is a deprivation of liberty and needs to be justified. Um, and so often regulations are proposed as just anti-competitive measures. Um, so I, I might knee jerk that way little, but I'm not opposed to like evidence showing, hey, these regulations are harming people. Maybe we should do something. So I, I really hope that either these stay permanent or if they can't, that they make their way through the legislature and become permanent, um, that people realize that these regulations were often bad at best and are really horrible at a time like this. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to ask. Um you know, what the chances are that, that some of these do become permanent. Because, I mean, in, in the history of the United States, the federal government's only gotten smaller once, right? It grew from the yeah. 1780s until Warren G. Harding was elected in 1920, and then Harding and Coolidge drastically cut the size and scope of the federal government. And then it's been growing for, I guess it would be the 92 years since Coolidge left office. It's only gotten bigger. So, like, it it's hard to imagine the federal government getting smaller since, like I said, it's only happened once in American history. But, like, is there a chance the American people will embrace deregulation? They're seeing the, the necessity of these governors and the federal government to just let the free market work. Uh, people are kind of realizing they, they need the free market. It's the only way we're going to get anything done here during this crisis. So is there a chance this catches on and some of these things become permanent? So I think your best chance is some of that happening at the state level. And I do think that even if it's not permanent, you'll see a move to make it become permanent. Um, I, you know, optimistically, I, I'd say maybe 70 percent of these become permanent one way or another. But um, pessimistic me says it's closer to 20 percent. It, it really is going to depend on the state, um, how well they've learned the lesson. Um, at the federal government, though, I think there's a lot less chance of this becoming permanent. I hope it does, of course. Um, but uh, it, it's it's always a, a battle at the federal government to make good things happen. Like, I, I haven't even, um, I, I could be wrong, but I to date, I don't think that um, the Department of Health and Human Services has released their formal regulations beyond like Mike Pence's announcement that doctors can like work across state lines. I, I like the idea. But but I'm not sure they have the authority. And I'm also um, not sure th the means they would take to do it. I mean, you know, the federal government always does stuff. It doesn't have the right. authority to do. I know that's not news to anyone, but I, I'm just not sure what form it would take. And if it's something I could agree with or something where I'm like, I love it, but it, it can't happen this way. Um, so I'm there. There's a lot of uncertainty just because so many of the, the rule changes at the federal level have just come in the form of announcements rather than formal guidelines. So people can feel free to do what they need, but they can't um, but they can't know exactly what it's going to look like. So uh, at the state level, I think, think you have a better chance at the federal. It, it's always just so weird and complicated. Um, so I guess we'll see there. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the uncertainty, too. I mean, I mean, this is a side note, obviously not anything anybody's worried about right now, but essentially everything happening on the federal and state levels will be challenged in courts over the next few years. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be a, a, a fascinating legal process as all of these these moves are challenged in the court system over the next couple of years. But all right, let's move on to like uh, the, the new the big news of the day, at least in my opinion. Um, Trump did address in his own unique way, obviously, meaning at midnight last night on Twitter, in all caps, 
but hey, he at least addressed it. Um, and that is the million-dollar question, kind of the, the only thing that really matters, in my opinion, right now. And so the, here's the Trump tweet, quote, We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. At the end of the 15-day period, we'll make a decision as to which way we want to go. Um, and that's it, right? I mean, that's that's kind of everything. That's the bottom line. I mean, yesterday, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, said on, on one of the Sunday programs that people could be out of work for 10 to 12 weeks quarantined in their homes. And that, that's just bonkers. That's insane, right? Like, one, that would make the Great Depression look like a fucking vacation, and that's not even mentioning the fact that Americans just won't put up with this, right? Like yesterday, my governor, Mike DeWine, issued a, a shelter-at-home order for the entire state of Ohio. I mean, how long are Ohioans going to put up with that? I mean, I would guess maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks max, but not 10 to 12 weeks. Like even if economically we could handle that, which of course we can't. We can't just print, you know, $2 trillion a month. To, to bail people out. I mean, that's that's insane. But even if we had, let's say we had, you know, a, a $20 trillion a year surplus, we had this giant stack of gold and cash that we could just pay everybody a hundred grand a year to sit in their house for a year. Like, even if we could do that, the America, this isn't communist China. Like, I mean, the American people aren't going to comply with these shelter-in-place orders forever. I mean, give it a few weeks max, and people are just going to go back to work. So, that is the bottom line. Well, Trump is right. Like, a decision has to be made. At the end of these 15 days, what the heck's going to happen? I don't know. I, I really hope that whatever happens, though, just follows evidence. Because I know that, um, through, especially through data I've seen this morning, that America's rates of dealing with this are really bad. Like, a lot more people are dying here than in other countries and stuff. And just are also, like, I, the, the curve that everyone's talking about, it's going in not the best direction for us. Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm worried, I'm genuinely worried about public health, but I'm also worried about the economy. And um, I'm, I've been really impressed how certain businesses have been able to like seamlessly translate online, even education, it's been great. Right. But I also know that there's tons of people out of work and I just couldn't imagine what, what they're going through there. Um, at the same time, thankfully, at least a lot of businesses have been hiring, like Amazon and um, and a lot of pharmacies have been hiring. I, I, I I wish that there was a way to like at least to take some of the pressure off to shift people who are out of work into those kinds of businesses and stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm obviously really worried about how how it'll uh, affect people. And of course, we don't want the cure to be worse than the disease. But, um, but the disease seems really bad. And that's with everyone staying inside. Like these numbers of death are like with us trying to do the right thing. So if we weren't, I could imagine that it would be spreading a lot worse. Our hospitals systems would be even more overloaded. Um, so I just I hope that basically uh, people with input from all areas talk to him. I know he doesn't always love listening to experts, but this really would be the time to talk to experts and stakeholders from all areas where maybe he could understand what the economic forecast would look like and also the public health forecast to maybe study different states um, to see how, uh, how how states that have been more aggressive with having people stay inside have handled it versus ones that haven't. Um, you know, I'm like the biggest libertarian there is, but I, I'm also genuinely really worried that a lot of people could die or become really sick from this and that there could be really bad fallout. So I, I just, you know, I hope that government l listens to experts of all kinds and weighs their options um, genuinely, but I'm not always optimistic that that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the first thing you said, I just want to hit that again, that you hope they make 
their decisions based on you know scientific evidence. I I just don't think that has been what what's been happening for the last month. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's why 15 days, right? <laughs> and I think we're on day what seven or eight of that right. of that 15 day order. Like why? Like it. it we're, we're medical experts saying, hey, if we basically shut everything down, shut down the economy for 15 days, we'll flatten the curve. Is that is that what they were basing their decision on? Governor DeWine shut down the state of Ohio until April 6th. Why April 6th? Why? Right. Why, will, will the curve Actually, be flattened a- by April 6th? And then uh, Steve Mnuchin. Oh, you might be quarantined for 10 to 12 weeks. Why? Why? Yeah. Why, 10 to 12, why 15 days? Why April 6th? Why 10 to 12 weeks? Why? These are just arbitrary dates like i just don't know I, I don't understand why at least at the very least even if they do have a plan and they are using evidence they're not communicating that the way they should be agreed I and mean, all these governors have been throwing out different timetables along with the federal government and they they all really need to stop with that they need to stop saying i'd rather them tell people we don't know rather than uh throw out these dates and that's a common thing with government unfortunately that it would rather give um a mediocre and uninformed answer than no answer. But sometimes no answer is better because even if businesses need to know that they can't plan, they need to know that and they need to not be planning for these arbitrary numbers. Um, It does no one any good to have that. And even if there are certain things they can't communicate, then they shouldn't be communicating that at all. Rather than, I think Cuomo had thrown out like nine months and other governors have said one or two in addition to the federal government with all these different numbers, whatever numbers they're using, there has to be evidence behind it. And ideally, they should be communicating that evidence, too. But um, at the very least, they should be sticking with the same or similar numbers rather than, oh, in this random amount of days, we'll reevaluate and determine the future. It's like that's that's not how it works. And and it does our country harm when they're throwing out these random numbers. And also at the end of this 15 days, or, you know, say April 6th, like in the state of Ohio, if if we haven't flattened the curve, if we haven't stopped the spread of this virus, then we just destroyed the global economy for no reason. I mean, th- right. that's really what we're looking at here. Like, maybe this will work. Maybe not. Maybe we should have kept businesses open and just quarantine the elderly, quarantine anybody who's at risk, you know, have regulations like, you know, you can only seat so many people in a restaurant, they have to be 10 feet apart from each other, and, you know, common sense things like that but we shouldn't have shut down the entire national economy maybe maybe it was maybe we made the right call by shutting down the economy maybe the curve will flatten by the end of these 15 days and it'll all be worth it or we haven't done anything to help the problem except bring on a a massive recession for absolutely no reason so it's like i i don't know and i'm torn i'm I'm no expert okay like take everything i say with a grain of salt i don't know what the right call is but at the end of these 15 days by you know April first or second or whatever it'll be, I, I believe it was uh, March sixteenth when the White House issued this order. If nothing has improved, then we just destroyed the American economy for no reason. Yeah, and it's 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 also frustrating because I am sympathetic that the disease is so odd. Like this, um, the founder of Above the Law blog, David Latt, is like this amazing guy and he's young and, and pretty healthy he's you know early 40s and he's you know on literally his deathbed there's reports about that and you know he he's not a, a typically at-risk person for um for being so harmed by coronavirus so it, it's it's so difficult because it's not even like we can um quarantine you know uh, groups of individuals in ways that make perfect sense but um 
it's you know again at least some businesses have been able to adapt like delivery companies um food delivery has been doing really well um but it's i I, i'm definitely worried that like our the the numbers in the u.s keep going up um and fairly quickly and they're accelerating and i'm i'm really worried about that that have we shut down the economy for nothing um but it's hard to know because we don't know what it would have looked like if we didn't do all this stuff um so it's really hard to say i just i wish that the people in government were communicating better and coming out better prepared, updating everyone with the facts rather than like their own whims. Um, you know, we all t- tend to like talk out of our butts sometimes, but um, they they seem to be doing a little too much of that at a time when that's really not helpful. And at the very least they could do is give people certainty of what is certain. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I totally agree. And we'll see. I mean, uh, we'll see on April first or second, uh, whatever the date is, what, what the administration decides to do. I mean, I don't know. I, we, will wait, yeah. we will wait and see what happens. So I want to get to the political games that, uh, that the Democrats are playing right now. Um, but first, w- w- with the stimulus package, which right now is stalled in the Senate, but uh, some form of this will be passed at some point in the next couple of days, I assume. Um, like, as a libertarian, I know you're a libertarian as well. Like, I don't know what to think about this. Like, I, that's all I've been saying in regards to these bailout packages and stuff. Like, I don't know. Like, there, you know, I'm not one of these libertarians that, is, oh, it's just 2008 all over again. Because, no, I mean, there's an extreme difference in kind right. between bailing out failed businesses that went bankrupt because of their own idiocy and <laughs> bailing out families and small businesses uh, because, uh, that, are out of work for no fault of their own because the federal government shut them down by force. I mean, these are two entirely different situations, but I mean, as a big fan of, of Hayek and Mises and all these guys that, you know, the fed printing money for any reason makes me want to vomit. But so uh, like, how are we supposed to feel about the, the stimulus package to begin with? I mean, I, I honestly cash payments to families doesn't seem like the worst idea in the world since it is the government's fault. Uh, why, why they can't work. So it's like, I don't know. It's maybe not the the worst idea. Obviously, suspending the payroll tax would be extremely beneficial as well to to small companies. But uh, before we get into the the political side, like as small government enthusiasts as we both are, like how the heck are we supposed to feel about any of this? I know it's it's really hard for me to wrap my head around. There, I mean, it, it's one of those things where I think that there could have been a lot a lot of things done a lot earlier that would have eased um, eased the the pressure here. Um, it's, it's funny. It's weird to see Justin Amash, you know, advocating for checks to families from government, but I understand it and I'm sympathetic and it's very different from 2008. Um, I, I'm no expert in this area, so I don't know what works, but a lot of people seem to think that's a good way to go. Um, and even with bailing out companies, I'm, I'm sympathetic there. Like I get that we don't want the economy to collapse while we're all dealing with this and it's it's the government and and public health and all this it's like the fault of so many things and people in the first place i'm really torn um but a lot of really smart people in the area have come together like from all sides of the spectrum to say that checks to families might be the way to go so i'd be open to that i just i'm i'm sick of like growing the national debt that stresses me out too but um and, and i think the the thing that makes us all hard is that even if we had to do that now, it's not like we would be getting anything back on track financially anyway, with this or without this, um, with the with, with our national debt and spending and everything. So it's like, 
it, it's it feel I I'm not sure even the best analogy here, but it, it's it's a really weird time to be a libertarian. <laughs> right, right. Libertarianism in the in the time of coronavirus. Um, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi blocked the the stimulus package, which was expected to pass the Senate uh, yesterday. And this was a bipartisan package, too. I mean, it was negotiated by Democrats and Republicans, both sides make concessions. And then Nancy Pelosi comes in in the 11th hour and convinces all the Democrats to vote against it because they wanted uh, adding you know, funding for overseas abortions. Uh, they wanted increased bargaining power for unions. They want tax credits for solar panel companies. Which, last time I checked, that has nothing the fuck to do with the coronavirus. Okay, like... Both sides do it, not just the Democrats. Yeah. It's disgusting when anybody plays these political games. But, and obviously, the, the corporate press is just running cover for Schumer and Pelosi right now. I mean, just it, they are just their lapdogs right now. The New York Times coverage has been absolutely evil. I, I, I can't think of a, another word other than evil, the way they've been behaving the last 24 hours. But look, I, the American people aren't this stupid, right? They're going to see what the Democrats are doing. I mean, they, the Democrats just don't want a check going out to families with Trump's name on it. That's that. That's the bottom line. They just don't want anything that can look good on this administration. There's no other excuse. Really? Abortions in Africa? That's what. That's why you're going to vote against cash payments to America, uh, to American families during a crisis? Really? Abortions in Africa? Tax credits to companies that make solar panels? What the fuck are we doing? Like, what the fuck are we doing? I'm so sick of bloat in bills generally, but especially in these kinds of bills. Like, this should be a thing where we're like, okay, we focus on the issue at hand. I hadn't even gotten to see what was in the bill. It's it's so, so freaking frustrating. Um, it, it's you know, but you're right though. Both sides do it. Like if I remember correctly, like during Superstorm, uh, right after Superstorm, Superstorm Sandy, um, there was like a really bloated bill, and Chris Christie like bashed a lot of people for not voting for it, but it. It was filled with all this extra bloat. It wasn't just about helping people after the storm. Right. Um, these, I mean, these bills are so typical for Congress. It's just, it's, it's so frustrating. And I, you know, I'm, I'm still working to figure out why a lot of this works as it does. One thing that actually has helped me understand and like wrap my head around it, though, is Yuval Levin's new book. Um, he basically talks about how the institution of Congress is suffering. Like Congress exists to do this stuff, but in that it's doing this other stuff. And he, he his whole point is that Congress, but also a lot of other institutions in our society have become platforms for celebrity rather than the fulfilling their goals. A lot of mission creep, but the mission creep is like almost uniformly towards celebrity. And I tend to agree with that. Um, I think a lot of times when Congress fails, it's because everyone wants attention for their own stuff rather than like doing the thing they're there to do. And I think this is just one more example of that um i i tend to really rely on yuval a lot lately just because it i i think he just makes a lot of sense his book details a lot of examples and you know other areas where it's happening like in religion how you have like these superstar um you know religious uh figures who are focusing more on themselves than on the church or you have um in education that a lot of people want to become the focus of everything rather than the teachers or the learners um, so in my opinion, I think it just goes back down to that. Um, but even before Congress has become like that, it, it's always been a thing to, to fill emergency bills with bloat. And it's just, 
It really sucks. It really, really sucks. And I wish they would stop doing it. This isn't a normal emergency bill. I mean, there, there's, you know, <laughs> I mean, they, they call how many bills per year an emergency bill, right? Hundreds. Oh, yeah. This is an true. actual emergency. I mean, for the first time in a long, long time, we actually have a national emergency on our hands. So I, I wish they could knock it off for like one day. I mean, just no. once. Can we can we put the bullshit aside? Just just this once. Go back to your partisan hackery afterwards. Just this once. Can we put politics aside? Apparently not. No, it's so true. And especially the games with what we call an emergency are like really frustrating. Um, I think I, I can't remember last count, but we have several dozen ongoing, quote, national emergencies. Oh, yeah. There's like um, dozens, I believe. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And it's like. When we do that, we undermine the significance of real ones. Um, and it this is, I think, one example of this happening that, like, I mean, a lot of people aren't taking this seriously, whether um, basically they're, they're not taking the whole issue seriously. They're not analyzing seriously. They're just like being partisan. And that's, this isn't a great time for that. Um, even if uh, if the issue was just about collapsing the economy, like that's a really big issue. But it's both that and like a an international health emergency. And it's wild that we can't get people to take it seriously, that everything's just nothing, you know, it's like the meme that nothing matters. And this, it kind of feels like that now. Look, one positive that could come out of Congress beclowning themselves again, as, as somebody who really is not a big fan of government generally, if, if this does even more to, uh, to make people distrust the federal government, I guess I'm fine with that at the end of the day. But uh, w- one more point before I let you go. Um, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has coronavirus and is in quarantine. He's the first member of the Senate. There's a couple, uh, I believe, three congressmen that have it. Um, I- I'll tell you what, just a side note, because I-, I-, I do like Rand Paul a lot on on economics. He actually, he wasn't even opposed to, uh, I know they call him Dr. No. You know, they called his father Dr. No as well. Just, you know, they vote against everything. But he wasn't even opposed <laughs> to these cash payments or anything in the stimulus. He just wanted to reallocate some funds going to, like, foreign aid and stuff like that and use that to, to pay for this bill, which I thought was a good idea. Obviously, the Democrats called him Hitler for that. But, you know, whatever. That's what they do. But, look, with both parties uh, really firing up the money printers, <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be nice to have uh, Rand Paul on the Senate floor right about now. You don't have to agree with him on everything. But on economics, he's the last honest man in Washington. So uh, this is very, very inconvenient timing to lose the one remaining fiscal conservative in Washington, D.C. Well, we have Mike Lee, too. We he's have Mike Lee. Great. You're right. Mike Lee, he's, he's solid, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we have Mike Lee. I'm worried about Rand Paul. I'm, uh, I know his family, and they're really nice. And it just, it you know, you don't want to see this happen to anyone. Um, it's really weird as this affects Senate, too, because one of my colleagues has focused on like, you know, even in chaos and partisanship, the the institution of Congress and Senate, they're still built on relationships. So when people are quarantined and like you can't be there in person, it, it's just a weird time to have to have this happen to everyone because it's like relationships are going to suffer and it, it could change the outcome of things. Having senators and congressmen not near each other, not talking to one another. I to I. So it's, I think it just adds another level of complexity. And of course, I hope that that Senator Paul ends up okay. Right. And he did have, uh, after the assault by his neighbor, obviously, he had part of his lung removed last year. So um, I know he's a a younger guy. He's in his mid-50s, I believe. But, you know, he does have uh, the pre-existing lung condition, unfortunately. So definitely, definitely prayers up to, uh, to Rand Paul. 
Um, it, look, I, th- I think they need to shut down Capitol Hill, send all senators and representatives back to their constituents, and allow remote voting. I mean, I don't know why I don't know why we can't have voice votes and remote voting voting anyway. It's 2020, for goodness sakes. Um, look, putting all of our elected officials in the same room together uh, for votes doesn't seem very wise right now. I don't know why uh, they can't just change up some clerical rule and, and allow remote voting and, and send everybody home where they can self-quarantine. Yeah, I think that that might start to change. But there is that concern about relations relationships that relationships might suffer over this um just just in the same way that you know when your friend texts you um fine you might be like oh fine like what right versus the event oh no this is fine and everyone has a different texting style and that you know that's among friends but among (laughs) people who are dealing with such big issues even if they call each other oh my friend from alabama like you know that there's a lot of tension there and i think that that relationships really could suffer not to say it won't be needed at some point but uh, um, but I am sympathetic to why they, they might not want that just yet. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. And I mean, look, our, our, you know, sometimes we get mad at our friends who are young for texting in a rude way. Yeah, I mean, in Congress, you're dealing yeah. with primarily boomers. So um, I don't know right, if you've texted exactly. with a boomer lately. It's it's not that fun. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess that, <laughs> that definitely is a valid concern. All right. Shoshana, thanks so much for doing this. We definitely have to do it again soon. Uh, before I let you go, where can everybody follow you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Thank you. Pretty much everything's on Twitter at Senator Shoshana. And um, you can find links to all my other nerdings there. (laughs) All right. Everybody follow Shoshana. She's great. Uh, That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.